This is The Barrel Banter, and I'm your host, David Goh. Today, we were joined by Derek Van Riper. He's a podcast host, producer, and writer for The Athletic. He's someone that grew up in the Milwaukee area, still has uh, some loyalty to the Brewers, despite covering baseball on a full-time basis. Uh, we had a really good conversation about the Reese Hoskins signing, the Brewers' direction this offseason, whether they should let Tyler Black and Jackson Churio make the opening day roster, how the outfield picture will shake up, and really... We kind of just analyzed the Brewers roster, the direction of the team, uh, and how the offseason has gone so far, especially including the big signing of Reese Hoskins. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with Derek, and I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this interview. Uh, now just a couple weeks away from spring training, so uh, definitely an appropriate time to be talking about what the team might look like going into 2024. Without further ado, here's my interview with Derek Van Riper. We're joined today by a very special guest, Derek Van Riper. He's a podcast host and producer for The Athletic, writes for them sometimes, uh, focuses on baseball and fantasy sports, and he's also a native of the Milwaukee area and a loyal Brewers fan. Derek, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. I want to start out with kind of a lighthearted question. Um, I always wonder this. You've got a great podcasting voice or, or broadcasting voice. Did that just come naturally to you, or is that something that you kind of cultivated over time? just came naturally to me um going back to my high school years I, I have this uncanny similar voice to my dad my dad didn't do anything in radio or television or anything like that but it was just one of those things where friends or relatives would call the house looking for my dad I'd answer the phone and I could just have a conversation for five or ten minutes before they even would suspect something was up it was it was what I said not how I said it or my voice that would throw them off but anyway I, I I've um yeah, I, I think it's just a gift. It's uh, one of those things where I, the skills eventually found where they needed to be. And I didn't even think through college that I would be hosting podcasts, which barely existed back then. It would have been radio back then. And it just sort of found me over the years. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I always I know people will sometimes talk about how they develop their voice. I think Morgan Freeman says that he developed his voice through like speech therapy and, and in college, actually. Uh, but I always wonder with with some of those people, um, I'm studying journalism right now, so I'll meet people sometimes uh, covering, I cover UWM basketball, so I'll meet people and sometimes, you can always tell on first impression when you meet them, is it a radio personality or is it someone who who does print? Uh, and it's always kind of funny when you, just the first interaction, you can always tell. Uh, so I just wanted to, to ask that because I was kind of curious about it. You mentioned that that podcasting or broadcasting kind of found you. And I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, so you you grew up in in the Milwaukee area. Uh, you were a Brewers fan as far back uh, or as, as, as much as I know. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what was the first era of Brewers baseball, I guess, that you uh, first grew fond of the team and, and kind of made you fall in love with the game and with the Brewers? Sure. So I moved to Wisconsin before I started eighth grade. Uh, my dad's job moved my whole family to the Milwaukee area. So I grew up in, in Waukesha. I eventually went to college at, at UW-Madison. So I stayed pretty close and spent a little bit of time in California. But as far as the love for the Brewers, it was just a team that I got to see a lot. And it, you think about those late 90s teams, uh, they were bad. And part of the part of the reason I got to see them a lot my dad's job actually had some corporate tickets and turns out people didn't really want to go watch the Brewers back then. So anytime those tickets were going to be unused, my dad would call my mom 
say, hey, take the kids to the game. I got to see, I feel like, 15 games a year at that point, which was just awesome as a kid to be able to go to that many big league games. I realize now how lucky I was. Um, so I grew up on the Jeremy Burnett, Jeff Cirillo, Fernando Vina, Dave Nilsson Brewers. I mean, that that retro diamond logo that's come back that some people like, I think it's terrible. It's forever linked to my mind with just horrible teams. Um, happy memories watching them and just becoming a more passionate baseball fan, of course, for me. But uh, those were the the very first Brewers teams that I rooted for. And it worked out great eventually because the, the time that I had the most uh, free downtime to watch baseball was college. And that's when they actually started to get good, right? That's when when Prince and Ricky Weeks and Corey Hart and, and J.J. Hardy, that crew sort of came up together. The Doug Melvin Brewers, like that era, is was like perfectly aligned with me thinking that sports journalism could actually be a job. So I think my, my passion for the game intensified because <laughs> had, had that late 90s era persisted further into the 2000s, I think I would have found something else to be more passionate about. That's interesting. Yeah, you you never know what kind of effect that a team, uh, just even the success of a team could have on people. People talk about the impact that sports can have on on a society and on a community. Um, and yeah, it's interesting to hear that. I, I don't know if I've necessarily heard someone uh, say that just a team being good maybe impacted their direction in terms of a career. Uh, you Then you went into... Uh, uh, especially working with fantasy baseball and football. Um, I believe it was with Rotowire. Uh, so how'd you get into fantasy sports? Is that something that you were uh, interested in dating back to those late 90s, early 2000s brewers? Is that something that uh, there was an, op an opportunity for you to get into fantasy sports? And so you just saw the opportunity and went there. How'd you uh, initially get your start then with, with fantasy? I started playing in eighth grade and my dad was in a fantasy football league with his friends when I was probably eight or nine years old. Uh, they were scoring it out of the newspaper, which is what I did for some of my first leagues. It was before online commissioner services were readily available. Um, so I loved fantasy football through middle school and high school, started playing fantasy baseball in college. Uh, I spent too much time in lectures, working on projections and trying to uh, figure out ways to win my fantasy league. And it, it just turned into this thing where I realized I was spending way too much time on it. And one day I went into the uh, communication school at Vilas building and they have uh, a job board, like a, well, I don't know if they still have it, but they used to have a cork board on the wall and they had internship postings on there. So before my senior year at UW, I needed a job that was going to get me some more real world experience. I had done a little bit of writing for the Badger Herald and, you know, I think I got a little tired of covering local government stuff, you know, lock ordinances and all these like goofy city council meetings like there. It's good to experience those things. Th those are important in some way. But that wasn't what my passion was. Uh, and it just turned out this company, Rotowire, had moved its headquarters from Los Angeles to Madison, of all places. They just moved that summer. They were looking for interns, anybody who had a passion for sports, um, the ability to write a little bit. And any other skills you had, if you could talk to customers on the phone, answer emails, do anything else that was of value to the company, um, they could find a spot for you. So I started there as an unpaid intern my senior year, got a little bit of college credit, and just kind of worked any available hours I could get. And I was there from 2005 as an intern, went full-time in 2007, and stayed a total of 13 years before I went to The Athletic. Um, and I think what, I guess what I meant earlier by 
broadcasting found me while I was at Rotowire, the Sirius XM fantasy sports network actually launched. So there was a, for the first time ever, you know, a 24 seven fantasy radio station that existed. Rotowire was lucky enough to get you know, one of the regular time slots. And I had a couple of bosses at the time, uh, Jeff Erickson and Chris Liss, who were you know, editors that paired up pretty much every day to host the shows. I think they each wanted like one day a week off. So I got extra spots that they didn't want. And I just realized how much I enjoyed it. because It's just sitting down to prepare. It's doing some research. It's having some strong opinions. It's engaging with, at the time, you know, callers. Now we do it on Twitter with uh, different followers and we have discords and all these other ways to connect. Um, so it it really just became my favorite part of a job that I really liked. I did all sorts of stuff there. I wrote player notes. I wrote articles. I worked on cheat sheets for for multiple sports. You know, I was in charge of the day to day coverage for Major League Baseball, for the NHL, uh, for a long time at the company. Everybody pitched in on football. So for a while, one of my roles was to come in on Sunday mornings. I was part of a team where we'd call the press box to get the inactives, and it seems so silly now because. The inactives all just get fired off on Twitter 90 minutes before kickoff. But you used to have to pick up a phone, call a person in the press box who was sick of telling anybody who called who the inactives were. They'd rattle off the numbers real quick, and you'd go and try and like decode it and get that information out to fantasy players as quickly as possible. So I wore a ton of hats there and worked with a lot of great people. But yeah, I think the launch of the Fantasy Sports Channel, which was probably about five years after I started, that was just huge for shaping my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you, you, so you spend a lot of time at Rotowire, uh, eventually transitioned to The Athletic, where uh, The Athletic now is, is known as, I would say, the premier, premier spot for um, sports coverage. You've got a lot of the great writers uh, that have been writing for 30, 40 years. Uh, Jason Stark, Ken Rosenthal, this could go on and on. Uh, but you land there uh, and now are, are heavily involved with the podcasts. You host, um, host some of the podcasts. Explain a little bit about how that came about getting involved with The Athletic, uh, and then some of what you do on a day-to-day basis uh, for them. Yeah, so in like late 2000, or late 2018, I'd realized that at Rotowire, there just weren't many more jobs for me to move up to. It was a great company. They treated me well for a long time, um, but I wanted to find an opportunity where I might be able to branch off into some real sports coverage. Um, you know, Fantasy and sports betting is kind of the focus at Rotowire. Still liked fantasy, but just wanted the the next level up at that time, the athletic was just getting ready to launch audio. They had really no podcast prior to that point, um, stumbled onto a job posting, an actual online one this time, uh, got a resume in, got an interview and became part of the team that launched the first wave of podcasts. I think the first, first set we had was like 22 different shows. And at the time, the audio strategy was a lot like what they were trying to do on the written side, where they were going to have shows for every market. And you, as you might remember, you know, Chicago was big, Toronto was big, the Bay Area, New York. So we had a whole mix of shows. It was kind of an unusual mix. We had a like a Maple Leaf show. Uh, we had a national baseball show, Starkville, still uh, still part of the athletic baseball show now. Um, so I was actually part of that team as a host and a producer. And it was a totally different energy being part of a kind of a big tech sports media startup where uh, we were hiring people left and right, growing like crazy. It just, it seemed like it had limitless potential. And for me, the big appeal of it was, you know, for sports media, we needed a modern sports page. We needed some some kind of way to do things differently than newspapers had done. Because as we 
we're seeing at the time and we're still seeing now uh, it's online newspapers just have not worked the way they should have. And I thought the athletic had a more nimble business model that was actually going to sustain longer term success. I thought it could be basically the new ESPN. Yeah. It's interesting how, um, how those came about. Uh, and I, I do remember back then when uh, a lot of the podcasts launched, I do miss the, was it section 422? Was that the Brewers one? Uh, yeah, I think that was really fun. Yeah. That's probably the first time I, I remember listening to, uh, to you talk uh, or you host a podcast and uh, there, I still listen to some of them today. Um, and they are national shows. There's no Brewers show right now for the athletic. And I think it's funny. One of the things that sometimes you say is you, or more like the other the other uh, hosts will uh, will give you a little bit of a uh, flack for wanting to talk about the brewer so often. Uh, so because we're a brewer show, I thought that we should probably spend most of the time talking about the brewers. Uh, and of course, last night, or we're recording this on Wednesday, so Tuesday night, uh, the brewers signed Reese Hoskins, two years, $34 million. You've been saying for the whole offseason that the Hoskins signing just made too much sense for the brewers not to do it. So to start, I guess, could you explain a little bit about why Hoskins is such a good fit for the Brewers? Yeah, I think for for me, I know the Brewers are rarely going to shop at the very top of the free agent market. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the size of their TV deal. The appetite for having a massive payroll just isn't there for a variety of different reasons. But I saw Hoskins as a player coming off of an ACL tear that had a pretty consistent power track record throughout his time in Philadelphia you know, pretty consistently 20 or 30% better than a league average player as a hitter, which moves the needle. And I think a lot of times a player like that, that doesn't have defensive value is undervalued. And for the Brewers, they've got a ton of guys that can play up the middle, that can play great defense. And it just seemed like the perfect thing for them. You're not going to make a five-year commitment. You're going to get someone that actually makes a difference throughout the regular season and likely in the postseason if you're able to get back there as well. And it's not going to cost you nine figures to do it. So you think about some of the shortcomings of this team. The bottom of the lineup has been very weak in recent years. You see that as a, a major problem. If you take a guy like Hoskins who can hit in the middle third of the order every single day, it takes a little bit of pressure off of everybody. Um, so for me, it just it made sense in terms of of market. I mean, it's it's a nice park for power, of course. People that listen to this podcast know that. Um, it just it seemed like the ideal fit of player and organization relative to spending appetite and sk a skills need. Clearly, this is a team that's needed some power. Yeah, I feel like it go back seven eight years ago, and everybody complained too, about how the Brewers relied too much on the home run ball. Uh, it seemed like. <laughs> I remember at one point it was like halfway through the year and 50% of their runs had been scored on home runs. And that was as the game was changing more towards the home run ball. But now, yeah, last year they were, I think, in the bottom third in home run total. Uh, so kind of reverted back, which has its its ups and downs uh, with it. They had a lot more rallies, I think, than they had in previous years. But they also would get two guys on with two outs and then not cash in sometimes. So it is interesting. One thing that I know tr traditionally – uh, a lot of baseball people would say is that you kind of stick your your second baseman and shortstop in there and you tell them we don't need you to hit it all we just need need to play good defense uh center field maybe same thing which isn't fully true for the brewers looking at ahead at 2024 willie adames uh, even coming off a down year uh, he still can 
can hit and probably will have a little bit better of a year offensively. Bryce Terang certainly fits that profile. Um, but it's interesting with Hoskins because they weren't getting really quite the production they needed to at first base or at third base to make up for some of that loss of production uh, in the middle. Uh, would you say that you would expect Hoskins to fit in nicely uh, in terms of, you know, he's coming from coming off one, a major injury. He tore his ACL last March. And the other thing is uh, he was playing in a very hitter friendly park at, at Citizens Bank Park and American Family Field can be uh, friendly to hitters, but probably not as much as it is in Philadelphia. Are you concerned about either of those things? I think it's a, a small drop in terms of park factors. I, I like to use the stat cast. Uh, three-year rolling park factors. So for a right-handed hitter, Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia is a 113, 13% better than league average, essentially, for boosting right-handed power. American Family Field's been a 109. So almost a negligible difference for a righty. I uh, wouldn't worry too much about that. What's kind of interesting, too, about park factors, people don't talk a lot about it, is that there are actual strikeout park factors. And if you think about comments Willie Adamas made when the Brewers acquired him and how difficult it was for him to hit at Tropicana Field, you start thinking about the batter's eye and environmental factors and things that can actually cause that to fluctuate. Uh, American Family Field does boost strikeouts a little bit relative to Citizens Bank Park. So maybe we see a few more Ks over the course of the season, you know, a percentage point or two in terms of swing and miss, but nothing that would alarm you. I think as long as his legs are healthy, Reese Hoskins comes in and probably adds a 30 home run bat to the middle of this lineup right away. Uh, and as you mentioned, bottom third of the league as a team in home runs last year, maybe they can get closer to a league average sort of mark, maybe even a little higher than that too, depending on Jackson Churio and how much he offers and, and what kind of bounce back we get from Willie Adamas. Mm -hmm. So now presumably with Hoskins uh, slotting in pretty much playing every day at first base, I would imagine uh, Jake Bowers was going to be the starter there. I don't, I'm not too concerned about not giving that much playing time to Jake Bowers. Uh, but over at third base, uh, they had kind of a combination of Owen Miller, Brian Anderson, late season Josh Donaldson there. Do you see that being a position where the Brewers should upgrade also? Or do you think that maybe they should just hand the keys over to Tyler Black on opening day? I'd love to see them give Tyler Black that opportunity. I don't know internally what else they want to see from him before they're going to give him the shot. I think when you compare him to Monasterio and Miller, what's the upside for Monasterio or Miller, right? They, to me, look like nice bench players, guys that can play multiple infield spots, you know, competent guys that are going to take decent at bats, but not necessarily somebody you'd want to put out there for 500 plus plate appearances. If you give Tyler Black that job, and I, I like the fact that he's a lefty as well, right? You could maybe have one of those guys platoon with him and, not let him face same-handed pitching if you're worried about that. And even that is something with a young player I'm reluctant to do. Tyler Black could be a difference maker. I mean, you look at the OBPs he's run coming through the minor league system, over 400 at high A, double A, and triple A. There's speed. There's some power. I just think it's hard to look at what he's done, even with a conservative projection for 2024, and not see him as the best option of the internal candidates they've got so far. I think when I was wish casting on this offseason, I wanted the Brewers to go get Matt Chapman and Reese Hoskins. That is pretty unrealistic because of the aforementioned self-imposed financial constraints, we'll call them. Uh, I like Matt Chapman a lot. Fantastic defender, solid power. I think he'd be a good fit. I don't think they want to go there because I think it's going to be a much longer deal than the one they just gave Hoskins. Yeah, perhaps... Perhaps he, Chapman waits until the spring. I think that's really the only 
realistic option for the Brewers if they want to go one year, what, 22 million, maybe 23, something like that. Uh, I don't think that they'll do that. Uh, and the, the thing is, if, if you do that, certainly Chapman is better than than Black will be, or or I would I would guess so. Uh, but also the Brewers uh, probably want to see Black develop for a year and you're blocking him for one year. Uh, to me, it's pretty clear that Black is ready for the majors, or at least in what I've heard, the people I've talked with. Uh, and it's really been health has been the main thing holding him back. Uh, so he certainly is someone that I'm excited to see with the Brewers, hopefully on opening day in 2024. The outfield situation is something that's a little bit interesting. Uh, they, they've got holes kind of in the infield, maybe a little bit less so now. But in the outfield, they've got a plethora of options. They traded Tyrone Taylor, of course, uh, but they still have Yelich out there who had his, his bounce back 2023. They've got Jackson Churio, of course, who they just recently uh, extended before playing in the majors. Joey Weimer played almost a full year. Sal Freelich came up and played pretty well. Garrett Mitchell coming off his injury. Uh, so they have a lot of options there in the outfield. Even Blake Perkins, uh, who showed some intriguing uh, intriguing talents uh, late in the year. Do you see the the outfield picture as being something that will sort itself out? Or do you think the Brewers uh, will or should even uh, make a trade before opening day with one of their outfielders? They're so young in that position group for the most part that I could see them just standing pat. I mean, they've got guys that you can option down to AAA if things are too crowded, if there's not an injury that puts someone on the IL for a brief stint. So I, I think they, they're in a good position. If there were a trade to come along that made sense for them, that maybe brought back a possible mid-rotation starter for a young outfielder, maybe that's on the table. I wouldn't be opposed to that because I think you know, losing Brandon Woodruff kind of creates the next biggest need on this team right now, now that you've got a little more thump in the lineup and trading a young outfielder is probably the way to get it. I think figuring out how you stack up the playing time if everybody's healthy and still here is a fun exercise. I think my question for you, David, is how much does Jackson Churio play? Is he the opening day center fielder? And is he an everyday guy from the jump or from whenever his debut happens? I think so. I don't want to put too much stock in spring training performance. I think teams often make that mistake where they're judging off a 15, 20 game sample. I think if he looks clearly overmatched in spring training, maybe then you take that and you, you, you say, okay, we'll start you in triple a, uh, see how things go. I think as long as he, as long as he holds his own or is making the progress that he needs to in spring training, I would rather see him develop in the majors and be playing pretty much every day. Uh, but I, you do have the flexibility uh, where you can option, say, Mitchell or Weimer. I'd be more hesitant with Freelick. Um, but I do think I would prefer to see Churio being the, the highest rated prospect, the expected superstar to be uh, the one who's getting everyday playing time in the majors. Yeah, and I think you know, Weimer for as, as good of a stopgap as he was last year in a world where Garrett Mitchell's injury wasn't as severe, Weimer probably would have got sent back down. He'd been more of an up-and-down guy than he was. So I think we do have to keep open the possibility that Weimer spends some time in Nashville this year. And it doesn't mean that Joey Weimer will never be an everyday center fielder. It just means there's still some things he needs to work on. I think everybody who watches his swing and setup outside of you know Brewers fans who see it all the time start asking me questions about it. And I have this philosophy, and maybe it's completely wrong, but I've always just thought if you have an unusual swing, Use it until it doesn't work. And I wonder with Joey Weimer, if you look at what happened to him last year, he had 204, the 283 OBP. Do you look at that and say, okay, 
it doesn't work against top level pitching. We need to clean this up a little bit. We need to make a few adjustments to make this a little cleaner. I think that's a fair thing you could you know, critique him about and possibly use as a justification to send him down if Chorio's your center fielder and Garrett Mitchell's completely healthy when the season begins because you've got you have multiple options. Freely can play center and play center well too. I think this is the great thing the Brewers have is the defensive flexibility. Several players who can do just fine in center, depending on how these pieces break. Yeah, I know with Weimer that late in the year when he was optioned to AAA uh, in September, that he did, uh, if I remember right, he came back to the majors, and um, I I can't remember if he if he actually played at all, uh, but at least I know in BP his, his swing was a little different. Now, I'll be curious to see if that's something that he actually stuck with in the offseason and continue, continued working on, or was it maybe one of those Keston Hira type adjustments where I mm-hmm. feel like every time he left and came back, he had some sort of new setup, new swing that that didn't actually make much of a difference. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, I think you could you could change it and it could get worse. That's always the possibility. You can mess with stuff as much as you want. We always hope and assume it's going to get better. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't change at all. But I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And I'm, I'm glad they did start to work on it at the end of last season. Yeah, same here. One thing I was told uh, not too long ago was that the Brewers aren't confident in Garrett Mitchell's ability to stay healthy for a whole year. There have been some question marks. I know even uh, going into the draft, uh, he, he of course, has type 1 diabetes, uh, which is pretty rare for a major league player. Perhaps that plays into the Brewers' decision-making process with um, with how many outfielders to keep or even maybe if they're more willing to deal Mitchell uh, because they are concerned about that. Yeah, I look at Mitchell, and I think we've had such a, a limited view of him in the big leagues. I mean, it's 141 plate appearances. The slash line is really good. Um, the strikeout rate is close to 40%. So, you know, I, I I think process matters. I think you do have to be mindful of that. I think you could see him spend some time at AAA, if only because he's only played 28 games at AAA the last two seasons for all the time that he's missed. I think I think Mitchell would be the most likely to get traded because I think you can you could see a pretty good floor in his profile. He's patient. You could probably lead him off against righties on a lot of teams and just bury him in the order against lefties if you want his glove in the lineup. And as much as I, I think he could become a above average regular, I'm okay with that. I'm I'm okay with taking the chance that he does that somewhere else if it helps address more urgent needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a while, that urgent need was first base or third base. Uh, now, maybe a little bit less so. Uh, but the rotation is one area where they have question marks. I think uh, it's pretty obvious. I mean, Woodruff, of course, uh, he only threw about 80 innings for the Brewers last year, uh, but he still was a, a very much a difference maker, low twos ERA, and uh, dating back since really 2018, 19, when he started establishing himself as a starter, has been one of the premier starters in the National League. So that's, of course, a big loss. They also chose to trade Adrian Hauser to the Mets, so their rotation depth is a little bit thin right now. Do you see that as being some something that they need to address before the season if they're going to contend? I think it's still one starter too light, and and maybe it's not you know somebody that moves the needle for a lot of people, but the decision to trade Adrian Hauser actually surprised me. It felt like a salary dump. Maybe that's what it amounted to, but when you think about the league-wide desperation, just for guys that can eat up innings, 
You know, look at the money that the Cardinals gave Kyle Gibson on that one-year deal and Lance Lynn this offseason. I realize those guys have some some longer a longer track record, but some more success on their resume than Hauser has had. But at least with Hauser, you knew you had a guy that could come out there and be kind of a, a competent swingman if everybody was healthy. I was kind of curious to see what would happen if Adrian Hauser worked in short relief. I, I thought maybe there could be a little more there. Give him a couple more ticks on his fastball. And you could find someone that could work the sixth or seventh inning pretty effectively or or go give you four, five, six outs at a time. I think guys like that could be pretty valuable. So I was surprised that he was traded. I mean, I was a little surprised that Tyrone Taylor was traded until you start thinking of all those young guys and trying to figure out how you're going to manage that roster. So, um, yeah, I think that was a cost savings move as far as how they're going to go about it. Maybe they know something about Joe Ross that most of us don't. I, I hope he ends up being a great story. I liked him as a prospect several years ago. Uh, they've got a track record of kind of unearthing forgotten pitchers. I would say Colin Ray kind of fits in that description, but that's more of a back-end sort of contribution than someone who's going to make an impact. And I think when you start to think about what happens in October, you shorten up your rotation, uh, you give starters quicker hooks, and you really need three quality starters to be a dangerous playoff team. And I think as they're currently built, it's just Burns and Peralta. They've got two. Yeah, and then behind Burns and Peralta, they've got Wade Miley, uh, who is coming off a pretty good year, mostly stayed healthy. I think he had one IL stint, which for someone who's had as lengthy of an injury history as he has, uh, is actually a pretty good uh, pretty good outcome going into the year. You didn't know exactly how much you were going to get out of him. Uh, but that's where I'm a little bit concerned because, um, yeah, you said Joe Ross, and maybe Joe Ross does end up being in the rotation to start the year. Uh, but even then, you've got uh, Burns, Peralta, and then Miley, Colin Ray, uh, who to me, Colin Ray is like maybe he's ideally a, a six starter, someone who maybe if you want to get a little bit more rest for your starters, you uh, you have him take the ball regularly. Maybe he throws in long relief or comes in for an injured guy. Uh, and there's a lot of uncertainty beyond that. Uh, Robert Gasser could be someone who uh, we see starting, but also we've seen the Brewers really prefer to break in their prospects in relief first. So maybe the Brewers want to start Gasser in relief. Jansen Junk, who uh, doesn't have much starting experience at the major league level, and there have been talks about him leaving to go to Japan even uh, for a better opportunity. Aaron Ashby coming off a big shoulder injury. A lot of question marks there. Uh, so I, I think to me, like the, the rotation, is, it could be good, uh, but the question marks, I guess, is more so uh, what it is where I could see things working out for the Brewers with the rotation, but I could also see things going horribly wrong where we end up with um, with even like a 2018-type rotation where they're just kind of cobbling guys together to get it to the bullpen uh, by the fifth inning maybe and, and hope to take things from there. Yeah, and I think they got a little bit lucky last year with some of the replacements. I mean, Julio Tehran uh, gave them more quality innings than I ever would have guessed. And sometimes, hey, that that's all you need is just to find a way to survive the regular season. By the time you get to the postseason, everything's clicking. Gasser is really interesting just because he threw a ton of innings at AAA. I think you could work him like a regular starter. I would think you could probably just assume he's ahead of Ashby just in the pecking order for innings this year, even if Ashby Ashby might have a higher ceiling, but his health is a great unknown. I tried to ask Pat Murphy about it at the winter meetings, and I don't think he liked the way I worded the question. Um, <laughs> the answer, The answer from Pat Murphy basically was, well, define normal. And my question was just, is Ashby on a normal throwing schedule this winter? Which I thought was a good, fair question. Uh, so 
I got the sense that maybe he's not. <laughs> I guess we're going to find out in about a month if he's on the same schedule as everybody else. I'd love to see him healthy. I think he could be a quality number three starter, but it's a lot of ifs just given the amount of time he's missed with arm trouble. Mm -hmm. He's also one of those pitchers who's uh, kind of a high pitch count pitcher. So mm -hmm. I, I don't have any data to back this up. Uh, but if you're trying to manage Ashby's workload, especially as a starter, uh, given his injury his history, um, kind I guess kind of his youth, he's I think he'll be 26 already this year. Uh, but perhaps that could be even a little bit more difficult uh, with high pitch counts. And he seems like kind of a five and dive kind of pitcher. Uh, maybe he'll develop into more than that. The Brewers, of course, have a good track record uh, developing pitchers. One guy that I on the field, I, I don't know that he's the best fit, but I would love to see Zach Grinke back in a Brewers uniform, uh, whether <laughs> or not he helps the team uh, actually with performance. You're going to get a, a good oral history uh, from someone if it happens. That's like the the automatic, uh, Grinky's playing for another year. Let's let's talk to a few more people he's played with, and those are usually gold. So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, that 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 in and of itself is a reason to root for him to come back. But I feel, feel like maybe if we see him again, it's probably another season in Kansas City, you know, one of the usual places for Grinky. Uh, what do you think about Carlos Rodriguez? I mean, do you think there's a chance he emerges to throw a decent number of innings in Milwaukee this year? Is he maybe more of a second-half rotation candidate? I mean, he did get up to AAA at the end of last season, pitched really well at AA, and was young for the level while doing it. Like, I look at him versus Jacob Mizorowski, and Mizorowski's filthy, but I worry about the walk rate a little bit more for him. I feel like there's still a little more work to be done before he gets a chance to take the ball every fifth day. Yeah, I think Rodriguez has flown really under the radar. Uh, he was... Uh, was he back-to-back -back minor league pitcher of the year for the Brewers, I think, 22 and 23. And, yeah, did it at different levels, did it while he was young for his level. And, and we saw him – we even saw him pretty poised in the World Baseball Classic on a bigger stage. And then he led the Southern League in ERA, I believe. Uh, so certainly the the track record is there. He seems more advanced than Mizorowski. You're saying you're concerned about the walk rate. Uh, I do think Mizorowski has that, that – floor of being an elite reliever that maybe Rodriguez doesn't quite have that but I think there may even be a better chance that Rodriguez becomes at least a three or a four starter and the Brewers yeah I mean we've seen the Brewers they don't want to rush their pitchers uh, but I do think in the second half it's possible he'll start the year in AAA I would presume uh, and so uh, I would think that maybe he'll he'll force his way into the second half especially if Wade Miley's dealing with some injury troubles. Colin Ray's maybe not as good as he was last year. Maybe Aaron Ashby isn't healthy. Uh, I think with the amount of question marks that Rodriguez is on that depth chart, and he's someone that, yeah, I, I don't really think about uh, in terms of someone who will be uh, an option early in the year, but yeah, he could be. I really like the bullpen still, though. I'm, I'm glad, glad they've kept that group together. Uh, I was a little worried that if they started you know, looking more to the future, in, in the scenarios that people were outlining where you know, Corbin Burns and Willie Adames were to get flipped this winter, so my thought was, well, then Devin Williams would probably get moved too. But seeing Williams, Abner Uribe, I think Trevor McGill's filthy. I mean, stuff he was throwing at the end of the year, like he could be their seventh inning guy. You know, Piamps slowed down a little bit in the second half. Having him back, Hobie Milner, the lefty funk, I think they're still really well positioned there. And as we know, they seem to have an organizational skill of finding, tweaking, developing guys that can contribute in the bullpen as well. So I think they're in really, really good shape as it stands right now uh, for the relief core. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, that was 
to me, if they were going to make a deep postseason run, it was going to be on the heels of the bullpen. Uh, I mean, the rotation, obviously, when Woodruff was uh, when Woodruff got hurt a couple days before the postseason, obviously that significantly uh, hampered their uh, their postseason chances. Uh, but the bullpen, yeah, I mean, it was not great in that two game wild card series. But throughout the year, they had uh, five guys who had sub three ERAs uh, that threw at least fifty innings. I think that's they're at least thirty innings. Uh, and I, I am also a believer in McGill. I like Uribe. I also like Brian Hudson, the lefty they brought in from the Dodgers. Now, will he be a lockdown reliever? I don't know. You don't, you never quite know with relievers, but he's got good stuff. He's got, uh, he doesn't throw super hard, but kind of a weird approach angle uh, and gets a lot of swings and misses, really good results in AAA uh, coming over from the Dodgers. Uh, the, the price was actually kind of high for someone who is, I think, a legitimate prospect although a high-risk one uh, in, I think it was Crawford, they gave up for Hudson. But I could see Hudson being a, a good second lefty in the pen also, maybe being the guy that emerges kind of like an Elvis Piguero or Yoel Piams. Yeah, I think that's the thing that you always look back at at the end of the season. You say, wow, they, they made these guys kind of secondary pieces in trades or minor deals or uh, waiver claims, and they ended up throwing a lot of meaningful innings. And it's, it's just... Year over year, it's something they've done exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even look at Bryce Wilson. I remember when they, they acquired him, I'm like, why are we getting Bryce Wilson? I've seen this guy pitch five, six times, and I've never been impressed uh, with the job <laughs> he's done. Uh, and then he goes out, and yeah, he, he wasn't, well, he was pitching in extra innings a lot, but he was, he was like the by far the most, uh, like, did the dirty work through the innings oh, yeah. that, that they're down by three, down by four, up by five throws two, three innings, throws an extra innings. I don't envy that job. If I'm a reliever, that's kind of the worst job. Uh, but he did, I mean, he did an excellent job and maybe he'll regress some in 2024, uh, but he's still a really valuable member to the pen. Yeah, and I, I think people sometimes overlook uh, the bottom of the roster and, and its importance. I mean, being able to stay in a game, uh, being able to turn to one guy who was a starter the year prior and say, we're going to give you a lot of innings and not work somebody else today. That has value. Even if you didn't win the game that Bryce Wilson pitched in, he may have saved you a reliever for the next day, and that made a big difference in a leverage spot. So uh, just to see a sub-3 ERA from him, it's amazing when you look at the track record of innings he had previously in the big leagues. And part of it, too, I think, is going and looking at teams who have been leaning on somebody as a starter and it hasn't worked out and just saying, Let's just take the pressure off. Let's just shorten up the outings and make this guy rely less on a deep arsenal to turn a lineup over two or three times. Let's just see what they do with their two best pitches, or let's give them this because we see that they they might be able to pick up a cutter or whatever that adjustment is. I think it's easier to kind of work with someone taking them out of a starter's role and putting them into short relief because there are more adjustments you can make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, and we've seen that with uh, well, I mean, most relievers are failed starters uh, at some point. So um, the Brewers seem to be doing that as well as anyone. Taking a little bit of a step back, we've talked in a lot of detail about the roster. Uh, but I think going into this offseason, it was an offseason that there was more uncertainty going in, I think, than an offseason that we've had since maybe uh, probably in like 10 years or even, I, I would maybe say, in terms of direction. The Brewers had basically two directions they could go. They could either say we're going to still try to compete, we're going to keep Burns, we're going to keep Adames and Williams, uh, and we're going to maybe add around the roster. And that's the decision they went with, or assuming they don't make a major move between now and spring training. 
adding Hoskins, of course, uh, and some other guys like Miley and Ray being brought back. Or what they could have done is they could have said, we've got one more year of Burns and Adames, two years of Williams. But we also have a plethora of prospects uh, that are really talented, ready for the majors, either this year or next year. Uh, let's try to push all the chips in for 2025 through 2030 uh, and maybe maximize our window there. Would you say the Brewers have made the right decision so far uh, by by going for a division that's a little bit up in the air in 2024? Or would you have preferred that they maybe take a step back uh, and would have been perhaps a little bit better because of the returns that they got for some of those veterans and trades? I'm comfortable with them letting it ride with the core. I, I think you can still get useful players back long-term if you end up trading Burns and Adames and some of these guys in the middle of the season. It won't be the same as what you'd have got this winter. You'll still have the option if you do go for it and you make the playoffs and you don't win a title, you can offer qualifying offers to those guys and get some compensation for them leaving that way. So there's there's still ways for this to be fine in the long run while still being fun in the short run. So I'm I'm glad they're playing it the way that they are, knowing that the future is bright anyway. It's easy to overrate the future sometimes. It's great to see your your farm system at or near the top of the league in those rankings. We've seen them near the bottom, like and it hasn't been that long since they made that adjustment. So for them to be in this position right now, where they can have their cake and eat it too in 2024, I think fans win in this situation in the sense that you're not you're not looking at them as having a clear down year from day one. You're looking at this season with optimism because. They are already solid, and there's a lot of young talent knocking on the door. Yeah, and I think the big thing also is the the state of the NL Central. The NL Central is not usually a great division, uh, but the Cardinals are coming off a 71-win season where uh, they, they should be better than that. Uh, but I, like if you look at their rotation, you think, is, is this really a team that could win a division? <laughs> uh, I Personally, I don't think so. The Reds maybe are one big piece away. Uh, from being a, a real contender in the NL Central. The Cubs, if, if they spend money between now and spring training, I think they could be there. I don't know if they're there right now. And the Brewers, while they do have their question marks, they also won 92 games last year. Uh, they've got some young guys that theoretically should be better in 2024. Going into the, the offseason, I actually was more hoping that they would pivot, trade Burns, trade Adames, uh, and, and get some assets there. Uh, but as it's played out, I actually kind of like what they've done. And I think my main concern was that they were going to keep the guys and then leave their holes unfilled, uh, leave first base to Jake Bowers, uh, maybe neglect the rotation. But they added, they they brought back Miley and Ray. Uh, they brought in Hoskins, of course. Uh, and so I am a little bit more satisfied with that approach uh, than if they would have, say, just left it and, and maybe been an 82 uh, win team. Uh, the other concern is is council, of course, leaving. Do you see that being something that has a big impact on the Brewers clubhouse or or their their ability to win? Yeah, I mean, it could it could be a problem, but it, it, Pat Murphy's been there for so long as well. Uh, I, I think the veterans that loved Craig probably at least like Murph just by the fact that he's he's been there right next to council the whole time. Tactically, I wonder how much things are going to be different. Yeah, how much does your does your bench coach usually disagree with the manager? Or is it just more of the same? If it's more of the same tactically, that's probably a good thing overall. Um, I know the the angriest corners of Brewers Twitter will will be upset by that, but 
generally, I'm on the side that thinks Council's a very good manager. Uh, it's going to be weird seeing him in the Cubs dugout for sure. Didn't see that coming at all. I just remember I was on a flight. I was coming back from, I think it was Arizona, from the Fall League, and I had, had the the Wi-Fi on the plane on my phone. And I saw that break, and I thought my first thought was I had somehow followed like a fake Ken Rosenthal account. I was like, come on, this isn't even funny. And then it was just within minutes, like, oh, this is real. This is this is actually happening. My thought after that was the Cubs are going all in, right? They're going to spend. They're going to go get a big free agent pitcher. They're going to get an impact bat. They're going to make sure they keep Bellinger. They haven't had the offseason so far that I thought would follow a move like throwing that money at Craig Council. And you know, good for him. I'm not, I'm not bitter about it. I think life goes on. If, if this makes him happy, if this was the best choice for his family, great, good for him. I look at this roster and think, did they bring in Council because they wanted him to squeeze four or five extra wins out of an 81-win roster? Is that is that what ownership saw in him? They saw him as a, a cheaper way to improve than actually signing significant free agents? Like maybe. Like they, they just they have they have some strange things they've done as an organization in recent years. They had their, their core of uh, of young players that came up together and. They didn't keep that group. I mean, not even Rizzo or none of those guys, right? It's just, it's it's a really strange thing to see. I think they've got a lot of young talent coming up as well. I, I like, I do like their rotation a little bit because I think Jamison Tyon underperformed last year. Shota Imanaga, who they signed from Japan, it doesn't get quite the same buzz as Yoshinobu Yamamoto, but I think he's an impact guy. They lost Marcus Stroman, though. People seem to lose sight of that all the time. Marcus Stroman's a good pitcher. So, you know, you replace Stroman with Imanaga. Are you that much better in the rotation? Only a little. Maybe if they're going to rely on some prospects, if they're going to throw Cade Horton in their rotation, that moves the needle for me a little bit. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't brought Bellinger back. I don't know if the price is too high or what the story is there. I think it's interesting that they made a small trade, getting Michael Bush from the Dodgers to play first base instead of being the team that threw money at Reese Hoskins. They could be the team that ends up getting Matt Chapman. Maybe that's a response to what the Brewers did. Maybe they're going to go out and add some thump to their lineup that way. Because I look at third base for them, and I just don't take Nick Madrigal seriously as a regular in the big leagues. He's a he's a backup infielder. Just is. Doesn't hit the ball very hard. Can play a bunch of spots. That's fine if he's going to get you 350 plate appearances off the bench. But if he's your starter at third base, I think you've got a problem. So it's it's an okay roster, but it looks like it's an incomplete one right now. And if if I were a Cubs fan and this was the roster on opening day, I'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah, I agree. They have some really big holes uh, to fill still. Nick Madrigal, when I, I didn't realize that he was projected to be their third baseman until recently. And uh, I, I think there's something about just hearing the name or hearing the position third base next to him also that throws me off a little bit because he's as about, about as unconventional of a third baseman as there could be. Uh, but... Yeah, I, I don't think that, uh, especially when you're a team with money that to spend like the Cubs, uh, they're not tied down with a whole lot of significant commitments. They're in a big market. Uh, they've spent before. So uh, we'll see. I think almost how the Cubs approach the rest of the offseason could dictate the direction of the NL Central uh, in 2024. Uh, before we let you go, we've got our last segment, five and dive, five questions, uh, rapid fire questions for you. Uh, some lighthearted, some a little more serious. Uh, the first one, who is your favorite random brewer of all time? 
random brewer, Scott Pesednik. Um, mm. I was really getting into fantasy at that point, and he used to steal a ton of bases. Did it with some power, too, at least some non-zero pop. So I think Scott Pesednik goes down as my uh, my favorite random brewer. I feel like he's one of the one of the favorite random brewers, at least on Brewers Twitter. I, I feel like I see him a lot. <laughs> uh, question number two, the Brewers will finish in what place in the NL Central in 2024? Second. Do you have someone that you think will finish first or you're just kind of covering it and say someone else will? I'll take I'll take the line from the sports book and say the Cardinals by way of devil magic and really actually like young players getting better and some guys like Dolchbit and Arenado being more like themselves. I think they actually find a way to get back to the top of the division and it's gonna it's gonna bother all of us again. Question number three, who is the better mascot, Bernie Brewer or the Barrel Man? Barrel Man. There we go. I'm not a fan of Bernie Brewer either. I just find it weird to have a human as a mascot. I always <laughs> say that. Uh, question number four, should the Brewers retire number eight for Ryan Braun? Yeah. And maybe the second question would be, should they allow Reese Hoskins to wear number 17, even though nobody has worn it since Gantner? Yes, they should. Okay. I hope so. I hope they do. Uh, and the final question, who is one young player or maybe the one young player you're most excited to see in 2024 for the Brewers? It's Churio. I mean, like some of the highlights we saw from him and Kurt Hogue was doing a great job of, of digging those up throughout the year. The, you see, you'd see a fastball at the top of the zone, even above the zone at like 99, and he'd take it out the opposite way. And to see a guy do that, like that's amazing. Of course, there's power. The speed is there too. I I think he's the he's the prospect I'm the most excited about since Braun, and I think the tools are even potentially more exciting than what Braun had to offer at the time. So I, it's Churio. Yeah, I think it has to be uh, Churio, potentially the next superstar for the Brewers. I'm excited to see him. Uh, all Brewers fans are, and we're getting closer to spring training. Uh, exciting for the Brewers, especially a team that's going to be competing in the NL Central. Uh, we really, I, I really enjoyed at least uh, talking Brewers with you, Derek, uh, talking about uh, their recent move with Hoskins, all kinds of stuff with the offseason. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. It's fun.